Uh, good morning. Hey, I'm Tim Rogers, lead pastor here at Grace Point Church. Thank you for making it this morning. Great to see you, uh, and I'm glad you're not injured, all right? And uh, make it home safe too, okay? Hey, we're really um, grateful um, to be able to have a chance to worship together, and, and I do really want to thank you for being here this morning. Thank you again to worship team for leading us. You guys do a great job for us. A little known fact before I get going, as Pastor Joel was praying for Leon, he's our treasurer. Many of you may not know who Leon is. Um, maybe it was a year ago, I said to Leon, uh, as we were talking about the process of counting money and reporting it and all that, I said, Leon, hey, what happens when you're not here on a Sunday? He said, I'm here every Sunday. I said, no, I mean, I mean Leon, the, like the Sunday you're not here, like, I'm here every Sunday. Like, Leon, maybe we're not communicating, okay? Like, when you are not here on the summertime or whatever, you go on vacation, he said, no, I plan my vacation around church, so I'm here every Sunday. He's been here forever, like forever, and has never missed a Sunday. So this is a historic moment for Leon not to be here, and so he's missed right back in that spot right back there. So um, give your greetings to him, and we're grateful for all of his service, Okay. Hey, this morning we're continuing in a three-part series as we kind of lead up to the Christmas season called The Package Deal. Uh, last week we talked about um, Jesus being the prophet. This week we're talking about him as the priest, and next week we're going to look at him as the king. And the reason we're calling it The Package Deal is because of what I just said there, that, that the Jesus of Christmas is not just this little baby, kind of safe little baby born in the manger in Bethlehem while that's true in that moment. He also was born to fulfill three unique functions, uh, three unique roles, the prophet, the priest, and the king. Last week, if you were here, you saw that I wore my varsity jacket from high school, which by itself was an accomplishment, I felt like, that it still fits. And again, the point of that was, as I told you the story of some of my shenanigans in high school, and I said, I really could have used someone to stand in the way at a certain point in my life and say, hey, stop what you're doing. This is the way walk in it. And that's what a prophet does. A prophet says, wait, stop what you're doing. Listen to me. I'm bringing the truth to you. And this is part of Jesus' function, his role, to kind of stand in the way of all the things that we pursue and the ways that we pursue wisdom, the ways that we make decisions and say, wait a minute, just hold on. Before you go ahead and do what you're going to do, just stop for a minute and think about what God might have you to do. Jesus comes as the prophet in that regard. Now today, we're going to take it a different way. And we're going to kind of leverage the Christmas season a little bit to make this happen. How many of you out there would say that you are um, a Scrooge-ish type person related to Christmas? <laughs> very good, very good. Okay, now how many of you live with someone like that who didn't raise their hand? There you go, okay. Good, okay, so we have varying responses to the Christmas season, okay, and the Scrooges kind of get the, the press sometimes because they kind of, you know, you, the oil, you, you oil the squeaky wheel, I guess is what they say, so we'll do whatever we can to keep you guys quiet at the Christmas season. But it is an interesting season, isn't it? it is, and it is a season that invokes some really unique feelings um, from hot chocolate to special music to, you know, uh, cookies and warm blankets. And in our home, you know, we have traditions where my, my dad, who's here this morning because their church isn't as spiritual as ours, and they close their church and we're still open. Because, you know, the, he'll make cinnamon toast. I'm just kidding. Don't tell your pastor I said that. Um, <laughs> You know, the, we make cinnamon toast, and so for me, this is all part of the Christmas memory and feeling of kind of going back, and you come home to family, and you spend time together as a family, and you enjoy kind of these warm moments of Christmas that kind of, they kind of elevate you, and so I'm going to kind of go, they kind of elevate your spirit a little bit and kind of make you, you feel a little bit, you know, good, and it's almost like you come to a place like this up here. These stools are from Walmart, and they're about 
10 years old, and so I'm never sure what happens. But they, they almost elevate you, okay? The Christmas season almost elevates you to this point. And then you're driving in your car, or you get to Park City if you have to do shopping in a real brick-and-mortar store, and you hear stuff like this, and it's like, you know, this really kind of drives it home. Andy Williams. And this wonderful sing-along, if you... No, don't sing-along. It's the most It is. It's the most wonderful time of the year. I can do karaoke right now. Maybe I should do that. Yeah, no. No. Not going to happen. It's the most wonderful time of the year. Thank you, Andy Williams. And so here we are, the most wonderful time of the year. And this season kind of elevates us to that, to that deal, to that reality. And we love to kind of be here in that moment. In fact, later today, I think we're going to make Christmas cookies on our home, probably have music on in the background. Scrooges, you're welcome to come to our place and kind of enjoy that time. So here's the funny thing about Christmas, though. Um, we kind of idolize these moments and want to um, freeze them in time because they don't really happen very often, do they? There's something unique about Christmas. If Christmas were every month, we wouldn't have these, this response to Christmas, would we? Because here's what we know, that, that it doesn't take long for us to realize that as good as we feel in this Christmas moment, Christmas will be over, and the season will be over, and the moment where you feel the most um, satisfied, the most fulfilled, the most free of the stresses and worries of your life that you can kind of set aside when you're in your special Christmas place. It doesn't take long for all of that to go away when Christmas is, is over. And for many of you, actually this Christmas season, what I just described up here is not your reality. It's your first Christmas without a loved one, right? It's the first Christmas where you and your spouse are not together. It's the first Christmas where you're really realizing that, you know what? I have no idea how deeply my family hurt me and how the tension in my family is really going to be pressed out at this Christmas time. And it doesn't take long until you realize that there's a problem, and that is that while we love to be in moments like this, these are so short-lived, these moments of satisfaction and, and kind of full release and feeling just like all is right in the world are so short-lived. But here's the thing, and here's what you know if you've been in church at all. If you haven't, here's what we know the Bible tells us, that we were kind of made in, in Genesis God made Adam and Eve to be in the Garden of Eden, in a sinless, perfect place. So in a way, we were kind of made for moments like this. We were, we were made to experience unfiltered communion with God. We were made to feel like all was right in the world. And we were made to live this way all the time. And yet, as soon as Adam takes a bite of the, the fruit in the Garden... And, and then Eve joins in with him. There's a problem in the human race. And that is now all of a sudden sin breaks this moment of all is right in the world. And now we spend the rest of our lives down here in the muck and the mess, the mud of this world. And we long for moments that are a shadow of the things to come that kind of foreshadow what will be. We long for these moments to get back to the garden, to get back to all is right in the world. But they only last but a minute and we're right back down here again where we started from. We fight, we fight, and we fight, and we love to find ways to kind of get back just to a moment when all is right in the world. But we know it doesn't take long. It doesn't take long for the reality of sin to settle in. We realize, man, all is not right in the world. 
And here's the thing. We will use and we will do, we will kind of scrape and claw to find any way possible to get back up here to this place. But here's what we all know. And, and, you know, no matter what religion you are, no matter what background you are, no matter if you even don't believe in a God at all, um, here's what you know. You're not as good as you want others to think you are, right? In fact, you already know what the Bible says is true, and that is that we're all sinners. You just know that about yourself. You just know, because you look at yourself in the mirror, that you're not as good and consistent and faithful as you want to be. And so what we do is we look for ways to kind of find a way back here where all is right in the world, at least for a moment. By that I mean, man, if only that girl will say yes and go out with me. You've been in that euphoria of that moment, right? And all is right in the world. She said yes. That's awesome. It's great. Isn't it great? And then, like six months later, she says, no. <laughs> and then all is wrong in the world, and you're back down to the muck and the mud and the mire. And, and then you get the job. And you're like, oh, now I finally, got, I finally got the job. They finally recognized how hard I work. I got the promotion. I got the work. And I'm making more than I ever have. Everything is right in the world. And then you lose the job. And someone gets sick and, and cancer rolls in. And, I mean, there's all kinds of ways that we try to find a way to get back just to have that moment because we're made for that. We're made for that longing to be in perfect union with God, to be really kind of acceptable to God. And so the problem is this, that the way or the means that we try to use to get back to the place where all is right in the world, that system is broken. The system is broken. And what happens is we know that we're down here, we're sinful, and we kind of know that there's a God up there, if you will. And we wonder, how, how do I get to a place where I can commune with him? How do I get to a place where all is right in the world? Because I know that I trust and live in faith on this God, and, and he's in charge, and he's kind of taking the reins of my life. How do I get there? And so many, many people um, will say, you know what, I need to go to church. Because I think a pastor will help me get from, from here to there. But I, I just want to tell you a little brief story real quick. About three weeks ago, my, my parents came over to, to our house. We shared a, a meal, a Thanksgiving meal together. It was good fun. One of the things that, that um, I think mom probably brought over to me was a, an envelope of old um, grades that I had when I was in um, primary and secondary school in Barbados. Okay? Now, this is good fun. I wish I could show you all of them, or show all of you them, but here's, here's the thing that I learned. I had a good time looking through these grades, and I just want to tell you right now that the grading system in Barbados is not the same as it is here in America, okay? Just, that's kind of, so you know I'm previewing this, okay? If you get an 80, it's an A. Isn't that cool? Okay, you get an 80, that's an A. So here's the thing. I'm looking through my old grades, and I found when I was maybe 12 years old, there was a class I took, I don't even remember it, but called Religious Studies, no response whatsoever from anybody. I really, we took a class called Religious Studies, and you know what I got in that class? I got a 58. Doesn't that give you all the confidence in the world that this guy in front of you right now has something to say about God whatsoever? But it, it was interesting, the comment that was written next to that 58 from the teacher, and it was this, weak but tries. In other words, this is as good as it gets. <laughs> there, he has tried, 
and he is weak. It just doesn't get much better. 58, good luck with that. Merry Christmas to you. I mean, that's kind of the way it came. So here's the thing, and you know this too. The people that you look to or that we lean into to kind of mediate and help us get to know this God are fully broken people too. The people that you look at and say, man, maybe they can direct me to a place and they know a little bit more about God than I do. Maybe, maybe there can be an assist, but there's never going to be that launch. There's never going to be that thing where I can say, I'm going to lean into somebody who's going to take me here because everybody is broken. Everybody is impacted by the fall, by sin. Everybody, pastors included. But so here's the thing. In the Old Testament, God knew this was a problem. In the Old Testament, he created a system by which he wanted to reach people like us who were separated from him because of sin. And that system was overseen or moderated by priests. Okay? Now, I don't know how you react when you hear that word. You have different reactions to it. But here's the point. The priests, their job was to offer sacrifices to make people acceptable to God. You put it simply, the priest's job offer sacrifices to make people acceptable to God. What God says in the scriptures is that without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. Okay, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. So priests, their job was to take the sacrifice of an animal or what have you and kind of take vicariously the sin of the person, place it on that animal, kill it. And the idea then is now there's access to God. Now your sin has been paid. The debt for your sin has been paid now. There's access to God. But the problem is not that the system that God established was was broken as much as the problem is the people who run the system are broken. So the priests are broken, and now today the pastors are broken, and your family is broken, and we are broken. And so as we come to Christmas time and look at Jesus as the priest, it is a very telling thing to stop and say, wait a minute. Who is this priest, and what in the world does it mean that Jesus has come as the prophet, the priest, and the king to reach back, to reach to you and to reach to me and say, come, as the priest, I want to bring you, I want to bring you to the place of unhindered fellowship with God. And so this morning, I just want to walk with you through some passages and into the book of Hebrews in particular to explain to you and to show to you some of the ways in which Jesus as the priest matters and why this matters to you and to me. So before you turn there, or if you want to, you can go ahead and turn. If you're kind of halfway turning into the book of Hebrews, um, we will end up in Hebrews chapter 4 this morning. If you don't have a Bible with you, I invite you to, uh, to steal your neighbors, all right? As simple as that. Now, there's a Bible in the pew around you, and that's our gift to you this morning. If you don't have a Bible, you can take that and, and run with that. That is our gift to you. Hebrews chapter 4, it's in the New Testament, so kind of the right third of your Bible, um, and we'll, we'll land in that in just one second. As we kind of lead into this, I want to say, because we're going to drop into Hebrews 4, but before we do that, now I just want to show you some texts up here, because here's kind of the beginning of what we see with what, what Jesus is. Um, here's what we read, and we don't really know who wrote the book of Hebrews, but we know that he wrote about Jesus as the high priest and really clarified his role for us. So here we have Hebrews 9.26. Then Christ would have to suffer many times since the creation of the world. But now he has appeared, and check this out, once for all at the end of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Jesus has appeared once for all to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Jesus has come one time to take all this stuff that stands between us and being acceptable to God 
and done away with it all. He's done away with it all. Hebrews 9.24 drives this further. For Christ did not enter a man-made sanctuary that was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself now to appear for us in God's presence. So in other words, Jesus dies. His one-time sacrifice takes care of the implications of sin for us. And then he goes into for us the presence of God himself on our behalf is what Hebrews 9.24 says. Now, how did this work? Okay, how did this work? There's something interesting that happened after the crucifixion that we don't talk a lot about. Um, if you've been in church, you've probably heard it before. If you haven't, this is, might be new for you. That after Jesus died on the cross, a few hours after his actual death, right after he finally cries out his final words, here's what is recorded in Luke 23.45. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two. The, the curtain of the temple was torn in two. It's really odd, isn't it? Imagine that. Jesus kind of cries out his last words at the cross. And at that same moment, the curtain of a temple in a building that was not there, the site of the crucifixion, gets torn in two, top to bottom. If you have church background, you kind of understand the implications that if you don't, here's what's happening. That that symbolic reality of a the, the, the curtain was there because it kept people from going to what was considered the most holy place in the temple. That is where the symbolic presence of God rested. And when Jesus' body was broken, that curtain was ripped symbolically to say, now the space has been open because of the sacrifice of Jesus. At that moment, all of a sudden, all access to God has been opened to us. Here's what the author of Hebrews says in Hebrews uh, 10. He says, Therefore, brothers, we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let's draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith. And so Jesus does this, okay? Jesus has a sacrifice, and as the priest draws us in and kind of eliminates sin, if you will, the implications of it, and invites us into the presence of God. Now, what I want to do with you in Hebrews 4 is look at the implications of this for us as people. So what does this mean? How does this work? Let's look at Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. Therefore, since we have... A great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. There's so many things to look at here. I want to look at just a few with you. Look at verse 14. Therefore, we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens. Jesus is the Son of God. Let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. In other words, what just happened is believable. It's worth believing in this. Of all the things that you can believe in, it's worth believing in this. Verse 15. We do not have a high priest who is unable to what? Sympathize with our what? Let's do that one one more time. We do not have a high priest who is unable to what? Sympathize with our weaknesses. I want you to pause on that for a minute. We do not have a high priest who is unable to feel 
the sense of failure that you feel when you let yourself down. We do not have a high priest who is unable to understand that you're never going to be as perfect as you want to be. We do not have a high priest who, who is so far up here that he doesn't know what it's like to live down here. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. This is quite honestly very difficult to believe. I mean, if you know anything about Jesus, he's kind of perfect. And I'm not. I got a 58 in religious studies. Are you kidding me? He would have aced that thing, right? He would have written the exam. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. It goes on to say in, in the next part of that verse, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are. Are you, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? We, we have a high priest who can understand that the way that I try to get here, man, God, I've tried. You don't know how hard I've tried. I've come to church every week. I've... I have tried to love my wife. I've tried to take care of my husband. You don't know. I've tried to raise the kids as well as I can. I've tried to be honorable in my dating and not kind of cross whatever lines exist, whatever, for church people. I've tried to do that. I've tried to be careful in how I handle my sickness and all that. But really, like, you're telling me you've, you've been tempted in the ways that I've been tempted? But you're perfect. I, I can't relate to, to you like that. You're perfect. And here we read, he, he's been tempted in every way that we are, yet was without sin. And see, we think mistakenly so, and to our own peril, that you have to experience the reality of sin in order to understand temptation, and that's not true. You can experience the full draw of temptation, and yet not sin, and relate to people who experience that. And that's what Jesus did. He's experienced everything that temptation brings to you and to me. And he can sympathize with our weak attempts to get back up here. Yeah, I know. I know. I've met people. and I've seen what it's like. I know what it's like to try to kind of find your way to God. I, I know what it's like. It's so hard for us to fathom. And then here's what happens. This is so powerful, what happens next. Verse 16. Let us then, here's kind of the implication. Let us then approach the throne of condemnation with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Is that what your text says? Let us then approach the throne of God's judgment. Let us then approach the throne of what? Let us then approach the throne of grace. Let us then approach. And, and this right here, guys, this right here may be all that you ever get from anything I'm saying or all that you need to hear this Christmas time and all that you may have needed to hear for a long time. That the throne that God sits on, okay, the throne up here that we look at and God is so perfect and I'm never going to be like that. And I, I can't relate to that because I'm so weak. I'm so flawed. I mean, I look at myself in the mirror. I already know how wrong and evil and sinful I am. Certainly God does. 
We do such a good job condemning ourselves and judging ourselves. We think certainly God's throne must be like that. And so until I can kind of get myself a little more put together, then I'm going to approach that throne because I know that throne is a throne of condemnation. I know that throne is a throne of judgment. Where he's going to look and say, hey, thanks for coming, but did you realize that two Sundays ago you could have gone to church, but you slept in? I, just, I saw that. Just, I just want you to know I saw that. I mean, I know what you looked at online this week, and I know that your heart was not sure where to go, and you did it anyway, and I, I know the way you're looking at that guy next to you and the girl next to you. I mean, I can see that stuff just so you know. I'm, I'm everywhere. Yeah, you know, the, you know, I wrote the Bible, right? You know, I, and before a word is on your tongue, you know, I know it completely. You know, it's kind of scary to relate to a God like that who knows absolutely everything about who we are and how we're wired. And then here's the way that his throne is described. The throne of grace. The throne. Take a breath on it. Of grace. The throne of grace. So that we may approach it and come with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace in our time of need. So that we may receive mercy, find grace in our time of need. That Jesus comes as a priest to say, let me bring you, let me bring you to God. Let me step into the midst of your weaknesses. Let me cut through the sin and once and for all open the curtain to you, the presence of God. And let me stop here and remind you, you've come and you want to know who God is? Come to the throne of grace that you may find mercy and grace in your time of need. That you may find that in your time of need. And here's what we do. We say, well, okay, that's a good call, a good thing, but I just need to kind of get a little more ready before I do that. And and I just need um, to work just a hair harder before I can kind of believe that. And I know that God wants me also to be obedient. Um, he wants me to be faithful. So I need to kind of lean into that. And then maybe, maybe, maybe someday, somehow, maybe I can kind of step up here. And maybe God will kind of look at me a little bit better. As the priest, as the mediator, God says, listen, hey, good luck with your way to get back to that moment up here. Good luck to, to find a way where you can sit in this seat and stay here for more than like a half a day. Because as soon as we land up here and feel like all is right in the world, you know what happens. All chaos breaks loose. Internally, you realize your own motivations. Externally, all kinds of sin and sickness and problems happen. The world is broken and we know it. And, and when we try to get up here and pretend it's not, we're just fooling ourselves. And God says, I see that, I know that, I made you. And sin has broken our fellowship. I just want you to know this Christmas time, that baby that you sing about, that you hear songs played about when you walk into the mall, not only does he stand in the way to say, this is the truth and I am the way, the truth and life, he also stands there to say, listen, I've not come into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. I've not come into the world to condemn you, but to bring you to the throne of grace. So that in your time of need... When you need me, that you may find not judgment and condemnation, but that you may find mercy and grace to meet you where you are. But if you want to continue to lean into your good behavior, if you want to continue to try to prove to me that you're good enough, if you want to continue to try to make yourself right, 
just so you know, when you're done with that and that doesn't work, I'll still be here. Because the priest, he comes. And he says, come on, come on back to God this way. And I'll tell you, it's not about judgment, it's about mercy and grace in your time of need. And so this morning for you, as we keep rolling toward Christmas time, where do you land with how you see this little baby born in Bethlehem? Where do you land with how you see this little baby who grows up to be a man who dies on the cross for you and for me? And it may be that you're like, well, I've never really thought about it that way before. I've never really seen it that he's the priest who brings me there. I've just kind of thought I needed to generally be good. And Christians condemn people, so doesn't Jesus? Christians are hypocritical, so doesn't Jesus? No. Christians are broken people like me who get 58s instead of 100s. Okay. So yes, Christians can be condemning. Yes, Christians can be hypocritical. But is Jesus? No. He's not. We are. He's not. And he comes to offer to you this invitation to say, come, trust in me. Because he knows what you already know, that you're a sinner. He, he knows that. You know that. No matter what religious faith you are, no matter where you come from, or even if you hold no religious faith, you already know that you fall short of your own standards, that you can't even keep a diet for longer than a couple of weeks at a time when the new year rolls around. I mean, you just know that you're not even able to keep your own standards, let alone God's. And Jesus is like, hey, I can sympathize with your weaknesses, I understand your temptations. Here's an idea. Trust me with your life. Trust me if you want to get to that place where you're in the presence of God and you can find mercy and grace in your time of need. Trust me. And so if you've never been to that place where you've kind of stopped in your road and said, you know what? I'm going to give this Jesus a try. I need to place my faith and my trust in this God-man Jesus who came to die to open up the way for us to know God as the priest. And if you've never done that, why not today? Right? Why not today? Why not respond to this Christmas time and say, hey, you know what? I love to be in those moments where all is right in the world, and I think I've realized that Jesus, as the priest, invites me to know him in a way that no one else does. So why not today? Why not today? So if this is something that's landing somewhere for you where you're like, I need to talk more about that. I need to process that. Here's the deal. You know who Pastor Joel is? He was up here a minute ago. You know who I am. We're ready to talk to you. The person that brought you, they're ready to talk to you as well. And if you're listening online later, you know how to get a hold of us through our office as well. We'd be glad to talk to you about it as well. But this Christmas time, Jesus comes as a priest to invite us into a relationship of grace with the all-knowing God and say there's no condemnation. It's the throne of grace. Come and believe in faith. Let's pray together. Our good God and Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity we have at Christmas time to stop and reflect on this little baby born and our response to him. We thank you for the, the reality of Jesus' life, that he comes as not only the prophet to stand in our way and say, hey, there's some truth and I want you to know it, but he also comes as priest with a warm invitation to the throne of grace, with an invitation to come 
to find mercy, to find grace in our time of need. An invitation to put aside our efforts, our work, to try to make ourselves right before you. And he comes and says, let's set that aside. I understand your weaknesses. That's never going to work. Trust me. Believe in me. We know. We know. That as the priest, Jesus is stronger than anything else that we will ever hold on to. That he is of greater value than any other way, any other thing that we try to value. And so I pray for us now that you would give us the courage to respond to this Jesus who's come believe, to have faith, and to have the next conversation that keeps us moving in that direction. And we'll pray this in Jesus' name.